0: All right, so we are in Colossians. Um, how many of you have been here all three weeks? This is, I guess this is the fourth week. How many of you have been here all, all four? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have been here three of the four? Okay, a few more. Two of the four? This is my second one, so I'm with you on that one. All right, um, so basically we're studying through Colossians, and, and the way we're doing this is, is we're wanting to take some intentional time to study the text at the beginning. And so we'll kind of walk verse by verse through a text and then um, take a little break and then have someone get up and kind of share some theological reflection or some applicational points to it. And and we want to do that so that you can, A, learn how to study the Bible um, and, and not just... Um, I, I think Ryan's done a good job of... I've listened to a few of the podcasts. He's done a good job of helping you see the process of interpretation that we... We, we start by asking the question, what did, it, what did it mean to them? What's the author intended um, to, to convey to the audience? And then what's the overarching principle? What's, what's, what does it mean for everyone at all time? And then how do we apply that to us? And so we want to do that by, by walking through the text and asking those questions. What's the context describing? What's going on historically? And then we want to stand back and say, okay, what's, what's something that we can take from this? What's a reflection that we can take? The very first week, we talked about how when you study the Bible, um, you can either lean heavy one way or the other, lean heavy seeing that the Bible is written by God, and therefore uh, we can just kind of see it as this magic fairy book that it has, God has a message for me every time I open the book and I read it and it's written to me, to me. Uh, and that is a bad way of reading the Bible. And then we also talked about how we can lean heavy the other side and, and say, "This is just a book written by men. It really doesn't have any relevance to our life. It doesn't have any authority over my life." And so um, because of the Bible, we believe the Bible's written, uh, inspired by God and written by men, that there's this tension that needs to be held. And so the tension, I believe, is, is, in, is in doing, let's see, doing a, a, um, a, a good job with interpreting what's going on understanding the author's intended meaning, asking the context kinds of questions. And so doing doing the work to, to, to try to interpret a book that was written 2,000 plus years ago to understand what's going on. So we need to do that part. We need to do the work in that. And then we also need to stand back and recognize that this book is written by God. This book does have authority over our life. And so therefore, what's God saying to me through it? How is he using it to... To point me to Him. What is He trying to show me, and and, and what is He wanting to reveal to me? Um, why did He write this to them in such a way that that He wanted everyone to know about it? And so, so what is what's God trying to get across? And so there 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 is a spiritual element, a discerning element to this. Um, and so we want to do a good job this summer of of championing those two things, right? So the last couple weeks we've been in, we've Been through chapter one. We're not quite done. We're going to finish chapter one today, Um, but we've we've talked about some heavy things, and so we're going to take an opportunity, just about ten to fifteen minutes, starting off, to just reflect on the first two sections, basically the last two weeks. And so I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, here in a second, I'm going to read Colossians one. One through fourteen. I'm going to read it slowly and deliberately. Uh, Some of you who were here that week. When we taught through that section, um, I believe it was Ryan and Anthony. You can you can re- think back and remember um, some things that were talked about, some things that jumped out at you. Um, you might even be asking that maybe since then God's been kind of working on you in in some area, and and that's really what I wanna want us to spend a little bit of time just processing, um, reflecting on. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. Then I'm gonna give you about two minutes to just. Reflect on it. Um, you know, see if anything jumps out. If 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 you're here for the first time, or if you weren't here that week, then then this may be. I mean, you may have read Colossians one before, but the, you'll be hearing it kind of for the first time. And so you can also, okay, what what jumped out at you in this? Uh, and then and then we'll I will read um, verses 15 through 20, and with the same kind of intent, give you some time to reflect on it. Um, you know, ask the question, has God been saying anything to you through that? Um, it's a really lofty scripture. It's it's Paul's highest um, theology, or Christology, uh, his view of Jesus in his letters is in those five verses. It's heavy. And so you can take some time to reflect on that, and then after that, I'm going to let you break up into groups of four or five or however it works in your little clusters, and and just talk about, okay, so what's something that God's been saying to you, What's something that God's been showing to you? And you don't have to have something. don't force something. Um, but if something's jumping out at you, if you feel like, yeah, I think, I think God is wanting me to or I think God is showing me or saying this to me um, that we want to give you we're going to give you about seven minutes or so just to, to chat about it and to process it and talk about it together. And then after that, Drew's going to get up and teach you the rest of the rest of the book. Sound like a plan? Okay, let me let me play uh, play not not play, pray, let me pray, and then we will jump in. God, I don't want to um, rush into a um, this time and our time together um, without asking for you to be sovereign over this time, to be in control of this time. You ought to speak loudest. Um, I'm sure all of us have things going on in our life and in our heads and throughout our week that um, could easily jump in and, and, and start to consume or take control of our mind, Lord. I, I pray that we would be able to surrender those things to You, that we would be able to tune into Your Word, um, and that You would continue to, uh, to reveal Yourself to us and to show, um, show, show us the things that You want us to see. Through, through your word, and uh, may you be honored and glorified in our time, and in our reflection, in our um, conversations together, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed. who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Take a couple minutes. Okay. 15-20 through He is the the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things Take a couple minutes. Okay. So, if you could break up into groups of four or three or however however it works out with the people around you and just spend, like I said, about five to seven minutes just sharing something that's jumped out at you, something that maybe God's been... Working in you through these verses over the last couple weeks. Take some time
1: to do that. All right, let's jump back in. Go ahead, spot. All right, we are going to finish out uh, chapter 1 today, going from 21 to verse 29. There, and you've got the text with plenty of space in the margins to scribble around on there, and then the, the back side, of course, of the sheet, just uh, any extra notes you may want to take. Um, as we mentioned in week 1 of this lesson, what appears to be taking place. In this city of Colossae, is that there is some sort of outside presence or force, some sort of group that is coming and pressing in on this new young church, telling them, "Hey, what you have in Jesus is fine and all. That's that's good, but you need more than that to be like complete and mature. to To really get." So where you need to be, you need something else. And, and it could have been and probably was Judaizers saying you need not just Jesus, but you need to be Jewish and you need to follow Jewish dietary restrictions and circumcision and, and follow the holy days. And, and it could have also been some kind of outside um, what we call pagan mystery cults, um, kind of that influence that was there in, in Asia Minor where Colossae was. Um, stepping in and saying, yes, it's good that you have Jesus and all, but there is like a, there's a deeper knowledge for the really, really spiritual, for like the elite, for the, for the best, for the best and, and, and most in touch with the divine. There you can get deeper than this. And so that's what you really need in your life. And, and so Paul is writing to tell them it, uh, that it doesn't work that way. And so you see basically right out of his intro... Right after his introduction is done, he says, hey, I'm a, I'm a minister, me and Timothy, and I'm an apostle, and, and we're grateful for you and for the message. As soon as he gets done with the intro, he launches into this hymn on the nature and the greatness of Jesus, and, and talks about him being the image of the invisible God, and, and the one that through whom and for whom all things were created, and, and uh, <coughs> He's the image of the invisible God, all the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell in him, and all these things. And it's as if Paul is basically giving, leaving this with this implied question, what more can you add to that? Okay, I know these people are coming in and saying you need more of something. Let me tell you what you have, who Jesus is, and then like, what are you going to put on top of that? What are you going to put on top of the creator of the universe? Um, and he, he leaves them with all of this. And as soon as he's done talking about Christ and all he is, he turns a little bit to them. and actually moves in verses 19 through 20. He talks about Jesus' reconciling work. He says, "...for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross." And after this statement about kind of Jesus' reconciling of all things, he's going to turn here for a few verses to talk specifically about how that reconciliation has affected them, the people of Colossae, and what that has looked like in their own life. Um, I'm going to try, I've got a little bit of a something, allergy, cold, sore throat stuff, so to save my voice, actually I'd like to do this anyway, but Dalton, can you read for us actually? Um, Go with, uh, let's read verses 21 to 22.
2: were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him.
1: All right, so Paul starts by contrasting these two things, their life pre Jesus and post Jesus. So he uses these two words as markers. You who once were this, Now this has happened. Now He has reconciled you. These two verses here reveal to us a couple things. The first thing that they reveal to us is that our condition before Jesus was worse than we thought. Um, That that we were worse off than we thought before Jesus was in our life. He says here that you were enemies of God, that you were hostile in your mind to Him. And, And that really does go against what I think the common understanding is, that a person who is not a believer, who is not in Christ, is Uh, Maybe apathetic to the gospel, maybe neutral, maybe needs more information, but the biblical picture is is not that a person stands neutral or apathetic to the gospel, that there is actually something at the heart of all of us that is hostile to God, that is an enemy of Him, that is um, living not in just kind of a life of, we'll figure this thing out, but living, he says, doing evil deeds. There is something at the heart of every human being in its broken sinful state that is that is not apathetic. It is hostile to God and to the idea of one who would rule over me and who would have rights to my life and do what, what he wants with it. Um, we were worse than we thought we were, but the other thing that we actually see in this is that we are we are actually now better off than we often think we are, that we are in a better state now in Christ than we even believe or even recognize a lot of times. The common understanding uh, of of what it means to be a Christian, what Jesus has done in my life is that He has taken away my sin, that He's forgiven me of my sin, that He's taken the punishment for my sin, all of those things are true. All of those things are things that are highlighted a lot in Scripture, but the Bible says it does not just stop there. I am not just forgiven. Paul says right here, I am holy. I am blameless. I am above reproach, um, and, and that idea of holiness being that I am, I am more than just um, my sin wiped away, if I, I put it this way, that we often think of of the reason that we get to be Christians, the reason that we get God, the reason that we get into heaven is kind of because, you know, God decides, well, you believed in Jesus, so I'll, I won't really pay attention to your sin. We'll let that slide. And as though God kind of turns His face away from our sin because, you know, we've believed in Jesus. So I'll turn my face and you can come on in. Um, that's not the picture in the Bible. The picture is that I deserve to be in heaven because of what Jesus has done. That I, that I actually get His righteousness and that righteousness deserves heaven. That righteousness, that holiness deserves the presence of God. This is actually the kind of word that that Paul uses back in verse 12. He says um, that we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Um, when, when you go to the Olympics, you don't get into the Olympics because someone decides to just let you by. You get in because you qualified to get into the Olympics because you were good enough, because you were sufficient enough to be in the Olympics. And that's the kind of word that is used for us. It's the best illustration I, I, I've heard of it is when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, he did not just cancel your million dollar debt. He also put a million dollars in your account. It's, it's not just all the debts wiped clean. You're, you're rich now in Christ. Um, in, In holiness and righteousness, you're rich because of that. We are better than we thought. But then he comes to this really, really big conditional statement in verse 23. So he presents you holy and above reproach, blameless, if... And go ahead and read verse 23, Dalton.
2: If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul,
1: became a minister... Okay, so you are holy, above reproach, blameless. If you continue, if you indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast, firm, not moved from the hope held on the, out in the gospel. There are basically three major views um, of what we call eternal security, or of maybe kind of the more technical term, the perseverance of the saints. Three major views on this question: Can a person lose their salvation? Uh, Three main views that run through, and, and the first view would say, yes, it is possible that in the same way that a person can choose to believe in Jesus and choose to give their life to Christ, they can also choose to walk away from that, and in the process, lose salvation, lose Jesus in the process of that. And, and that, that understanding actually does seem to fit with what Paul is saying here. You're blames above approach. if you continue, but if you choose not to continue, then you're no longer those things. The second major view, so the first view is kind of what we call an Arminian position. Um, the second view is more of a Calvinist position, and that is that, no, you cannot walk away from the grace of God. You cannot walk away and lose your salvation um, because God's grace is so strong, and if He chooses you and wants you to be saved, then you're not walking away from that. However, the Calvinist position would say um, that it is possible for a person to say the prayer and to get baptized and to walk down the aisle and do all the things and go to church and all of those things and then later in life walk away from all of that. And what the Calvinists would say is if you walk away from it, it's a sign that you were never really saved to begin with, that you were never really a Christian to begin with. That's how they would read verse 23 here. You're holy and blameless and above approach if you continue in the faith. And if you don't continue in the faith, it's a sign that you were never actually holy and blameless and above approach to begin with. Um, that's the sign. And I think that that is also a um, justifiable way to read this text. That's a justifiable in- interpretation. The third option is, is what's called free grace doctrine or, or more, more often kind of the common is once saved, always saved. And that is if I say a prayer and ask Jesus into my heart, then it does not matter what I do from there on out with the rest of my life, how I live, whether I choose to stay faithful to Him or not, or keep believing or not, once saved, always saved, then I cannot lose that salvation. That view I cannot figure out how to justify alongside of Colossians 1.23. That view does not seem to fit with what Paul is saying here, nor, in my opinion, does it fit with um, anything else in the New Testament. Um, it's just not the picture that the Bible gives. That you can ask Jesus into your heart. Also, by the way, a phrase that never shows up in Scripture. You're never actually told to ask Jesus into your heart, but that's kind of what we talk about. It. To ask Jesus into your heart in a prayer, and then kind of live however you want to live, and and you're all good. It's fine. Once saved, always. That that, that picture's not in the Bible, and it's never the goal. When Jesus sends out the disciples, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, He says, go into all the world and get people saved. Right? No. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's that's what the commission is. That's what it is. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's That's what the goal is, and Paul will get into at the very last verse of this what his main goal is, and it is not just getting people to get saved, getting people to say a prayer or get baptized. I love real quick, by the way, um, or I just say this, you can see Paul's kind of warning here because you can see he's, he's speaking to people who are facing pressure from the outside. Um, you need more. You need more than just Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You've already got everything you need. You are holy. You are blameless. You are above reproach if you don't step away from this, if you continue and stay steadfast, if you do not give in to the pressure uh, uh, that is coming in on the church right now. So verses 21, 22, 23, these are actually a really great summary of what the Christian life is. Uh, Maybe some good verses to kind of hang up somewhere in your house. There's uh, a commentator by the name of Dick Lucas, and and he says this, um, kind of a brief bullet point summary of each of these verses. 21 tells us what you once were. 22 tells us where you now stand. And 23 tells you how you must go on. I think that's really helpful. 21, what you once were. 22, where you now stand. 23, how you must go on. That's the last line of verse... Twenty-three. He says that that you, you should move from this gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That last line, I became a minister of the gospel, that is going to lead him into this next flow of thought, which is kind of a bunch of reflection on his ministry. Now, there's some sticky stuff in this passage that we're going to need to stop and kind of explain. But it really is kind of one solid thought. So before we do that, I want to read all the way from 24 to 29. So go ahead and do that real quick.
2: Okay. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but not revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, the myster- of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, uh, that he powerfully works within me.
1: All right. Beautiful. Um, so this is his line, kind of this is his description, and he'll actually go into... And the first few verses of chapter 2, he kind of continues describing a little bit of his ministry and what it's about. Um, but he has this very first verse. Um, now I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24, for years, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This is a strange verse, and it is one that has caused a lot of speculation and a lot of writing and a lot of study um, for a lot of years. Um, people trying to figure out what exactly is Paul getting at when he says this, that I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's sufferings. There are two key questions that need to get asked here. The first is, in what way does, can Paul be saying that his sufferings are Christ's sufferings? In what way can he say that he is suffering Christ's sufferings? And the second is, in what way is there a lack in Christ's sufferings that Paul thinks needs to be filled up, needs to be completed, brought to completion. So the first one, in what way can Paul's sufferings be Christ's sufferings? Um, This one, truthfully, should not be super surprising to us if we go back to the beginning of Paul's ministry and his decision to follow Jesus. Um, Does anybody in here remember what the very first words were that Jesus said to Paul? Ago. Okay, it's, so he's on this is Acts 9 on the road to Damascus you know this story right Saul has been persecuting the church and, and he's on his way to Damascus to get more Christians and, and to throw them in jail and as he's going there the, the bright light shines in his eyes knocks him back and he hears Jesus say these words Saul, Saul why do you persecute me? Now, was Saul beating Jesus? throwing Jesus in jail? No, he was throwing Christians in jail. But Jesus says, when you are doing this to my church, you are doing it to me. That, that Jesus is so identified with his body, that's the, that's the description, it is his body, it is his people that when they suffer, it is his suffering. He continues to suffer through them. So from the get-go, Paul's understanding is that Christ's sufferings and the churches are tied together because of their connection, because of their association with one another. Um, and, and, but the second question then would be this. What does it mean that Paul fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Um, what does he mean when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in his afflictions? Now, it cannot mean, because of what Paul has already said in verse 22. So look at verse 22. Verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It cannot mean, because of what he just said there, that, that there is a insufficiency in the blood of Jesus to save us. Paul already says, no, no, what Jesus did on the cross has made you holy and blameless and above reproach. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, his words were, "...it is finished." There's nothing more to add to this. There's nothing more that needs to be done. And so we know this, that Paul's not saying that there is something that lacks in the saving power of Christ's blood. It is not insufficient in that way. I believe that our biggest clue about what Paul might be meaning is actually found back again at Paul's conversion in Acts 9. This one's not words that are spoken to Paul slash Saul. It's spoken to another guy by the name of Ananias. You remember this is a guy where where Saul is on his way into the city. He gets blinded and told to go in there, and he's going to meet this guy. And then God shows up to Ananias and says, "I want you to go meet Saul." And Ananias says, "You're crazy. Um, like I don't have you heard about this guy, God? He's he's going into the cities and he's he's." He's coming after people like me. I don't want to go to him. And and God says, no, no, I want you to go. I want you to go and speak to him. And this is what he says in Acts 9. Let me make sure I get there. Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. These are God's words to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go For he, that is Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and for the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. But what God did there actually was he associated two things together. He is my chosen instrument to proclaim the message of the kingdom to Gentiles and Jews and I will show him how much he's going to suffer. God has, for Paul, kind of put these two things together, the proclamation of the gospel and suffering. And from the very beginning, this has been something that has been true for Paul, that proclaiming the gospel, bringing the kingdom, is suffering, is continuing the suffering of Christ for him. Now, this is especially true for Paul. And I believe Paul would say this is a primary part of of his, of his ministry. But he also actually seems to believe that this ought to be true of all of us. That it is a natural part of a of the faithful Christian life that we will suffer for that. That there ought to be suffering. Whoever wants to live a godly life will be persecuted, he tells Timothy. Um, he says in Acts that we enter the kingdom through many trials and hardships, through much suffering. Um, and, and so that seems to be something that, that rings true for him. But What seems, what I believe Paul is saying when he says, I fill up what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, he is saying there is still more gospel to proclaim and with the proclaiming of it, there's more suffering to do. I'm going to continue to proclaim slash suffer for the gospel over and over again. There is this really interesting passage in Philippians, and I don't know fully if I if I buy this fully or what to do with it, but there's an almost identical line in Philippians 3, I think it's verses 28, where Paul is saying that the Philippians have raised up this offering for Paul and they wanted to get it to him, but they couldn't get it to him. And so they send this guy named Epaphroditus who goes and he brings it to Paul, but in the process he gets really sick and he almost dies. And Paul says, You need to honor a guy like this. You need to, you need to you need to really like love and do respect like this because he filled up what was lacking in your service to me. Almost the exact same line is what he says, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's blood. Now, what was lacking in the Philippians' service to him? Was it that they didn't give him enough? Was it that what Epaphroditus did was he stuck another $100 bill on it and, and now Paul said, now he filled up what was lacking. He completed what was lacking. No, no, no. The offering was enough what was lacking was that somebody needed to get it to him. And there's some who think that that's exactly what Paul's saying in Colossians, that the suffering of Christ is enough for the entire world. But what happens, what's lacking, is somebody needs to get that to people. Somebody needs to bring that gospel and that suffering before their eyes so they can know and so they can have that. That, I believe, is what he might be getting at. But he ties the suffering to the gospel, and that's actually where he goes in this very next sentence. Um, Read twenty-five through twenty-seven, Dalton. I
2: wish I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but not revealed to his saints. And then God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles and the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory.
1: Okay. Yeah, twenty-seven. So he says that that I suffer for the Word of God. Um yeah, suffer for the Word of God um, uh, I'm sorry, which is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Um, there are some people that see in that line, the word of God is the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations. Some people see in that line an attack on the mystery cults. That is, these mystery cults are coming and saying, hey, you want the real deep knowledge? You want the real mystery? And Paul is saying, no, no, they don't know anything about the mystery. Let me tell you what the actual mystery is. Let me tell you what you can really dig into. That could be true, that he's he's doing that. But Paul tends to kind of like this word when he's talking about the message anyway. And so he may just be using it in general. When we use the term mystery, we tend to refer to it or think about it as something that cannot be known. Right? So... My kids ask me a question, um, you know, your kids ask you a billion questions that you have no idea what the answer is. He asks, they ask me things like the motivation of cartoon characters and stuff in shows. I'm, how am I supposed to know that? But they ask me all kinds of crazy questions, and a lot of times all I can end up saying is, I don't know, it's, it's a mystery. Who knows? It's, that's the way we talk. I don't know why that happened. It's a mystery. I don't know how that works. It's a mystery. A mystery is something that we can't figure out. In, in the Semitic world, in Paul's language, when he talks about these things. A mystery is something that I could not have figured out without God revealing to me. But what what he says here is that God now has. It's something that we can't grasp by human power or intellect alone, but, but that he has revealed it to us now. And Paul says that this is what the mystery is. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the mystery is. Specifically, I don't think he's just saying it is Christ being in a person. I think specifically by you, he's saying you Gentiles. Um, Because he actually has almost a really similar line to this in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, what Paul is saying here is the great mystery that nobody could figure it out that for thousands of years, God had a people, and that people was the nation of Israel. They were his and nobody else. And if you wanted to be gods, you needed to be a part of the people of Israel. But what nobody could have seen coming, Paul says, is that from the beginning, God had a plan to bring in these other people, to bring in Gentiles, to bring in Americans who had no hope before Jesus. And the mystery is this, Christ in you. And he says that that is the hope of glory, the hope of something greater, the hope of something bigger that is going to take place in your life one day. The hope of glory, um, Christ in us, the Gentiles. Let's read verses 28 through 29.
2: In Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me.
1: All right, notice the repetition there. This is something when you're kind of writing and you've got that double space thing and you're scribbling, one of the things to look for is repetition, words that come up a lot. What word gets thrown out really quick in the first couple of verses, in those verses? Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. everyone. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is my goal. This is probably in contrast to the elitism of Paul's opponents, these other people coming in saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, you've got Jesus, but for the really special ones, for the really deep ones, for the really spiritual ones, they need circumcision or they need mystery. And Paul says, no, 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 no. What I'm bringing is for everyone. And the goal is for everyone to get there. I'm coming after everyone with these things. And notice again, his goal is not that everyone would be saved. It is that they would come to maturity, come to be complete maturity. And that ought to be our goal as a church. Not to get everyone saved, but to make everyone fully mature in Christ, to make everyone complete in Christ. And he uses this interesting sentence at the end, verse 29, For this I toil, toil is a very strong word. In the NIV it's translated, I strenuously contend. It is, a, it is a straining word. It is a r- hard-working type word for this I toil. And then the other word he uses, struggling, is in the Greek agonizomai, from where we get the word what? Agonize. Agonize. I agonize, I strenuously contend, and I agonize for this goal. I put every bit of me into this, this goal to see people come fully mature in Christ. These are brutal words that Paul is describing, but then he kind of switches gears and he says, I am agonizing and struggling with everything I have, but, but he says, but actually everything I have is, is not mine, I'm doing this with the energy that that Christ puts in me. And that word in the Greek is, it sounds a lot like energy, uh, energeo. Energeo. It is a word that is never used about human strength or power in the New Testament. It is only ever used to describe the power um, sometimes of the devil, but mostly of God. It is a superhuman strength. It is a superhuman power and energy that Paul says is flowing in him as he labors And how does Paul, in this text, how does Paul receive that power? How does he get that energy of Christ working through him? Is it by faith? Is it by believing that he'll have it and therefore he has it? It actually appears in here he gets it not by believing, I'm sure by believing, but he gets it by working. Like... He simply works really hard towards it, and in the process, Christ fills him up with the energy he needs. See, we don't always like that. We kind of want like the fully, um, I want all the blessings and the power that Christ could give to me through his Holy Spirit. But I often don't want to do the things that that power is meant for. I want God to increase my faith. I want God to give me a greater um, joy. I want Him to give me a greater strength and a greater giftedness for Him. And a lot of times I want that so I can sit on my couch and watch Netflix at home. Right? And God says, What, like, what, what am I going to give that to you for? Like, what, what do you need all of my energy and power in you for you to watch Netflix? I'm not dog and Netflix. I am a little bit dog and Netflix, but I like Netflix just saying. that's that's often where we want to give ourselves and I believe that the picture is that we receive this type of power and working in our lives as we step out to do what God calls us to Um, back to Dick Lucas again he he says it like this and I love it it is when we toil and strive at a God-given task that we receive God-given energy it's when we toil and struggle agonizomai at a God-given task that we receive God-given energy. I think that's important. Paul labors to this end with all his might. Or sorry, not with his might. He labors, struggles and toils, but it is with the energy of Christ that does that in him, to see everyone fully mature, to present everyone complete, to present everyone perfect in Christ. That is his aim and it ought to be ours. Um, I want to close though, I want to kind of step back a few verses and give you a thought just to kind of think about, a question to discuss in your groups again, and that is this. Paul says he believes he ought to um, fill up what is lacking in regards to Christ's sufferings. Um, So here's the questions. Should we as Christians expect to experience the sufferings of Christ today? And if so, then what does that look like? For Paul it looks like jail and it looks like uh, beatings, and it looks like shipwreck, it looks like a lot of those things, should we expect that today to, to experience the afflictions and the sufferings of Christ? And if so, then what should we expect that to look like in our own lives? Take a few minutes to kind of talk about that, and then Scott will get, us, get up and lead us to a little bit more reflection. All right,
0: we are going to get started. So I said at the beginning, kind of our goal for for each night is to teach two different sections. Tonight's different than that. We're going to do this at least one other time throughout um, in in this series. And so tonight's going to be a little more reflective in in nature. We've already reflected over the first half or most of chapter one. And now I want to spend some time reflecting over um, what what Drew just taught about. And something that that I realized, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, someone asked about uh, when I, I had mentioned that there's different ways to read the Bible, you can study the Bible like we're doing now, you can, you can read it devotionally, you can meditate on a verse, you can memorize Scripture, so there's, a, there's different ways to read Scripture. And someone asked me, so do you see them as equal? And, and my answer is that, that the more you understand the, the hermeneutical process, that's, that's, that's the process in which you, we start to ask the question, okay, what did it mean to them? Okay how do, how do we understand what it meant to them in order to understand what it what's the overarching principle that means that that can be applied to everyone and then how do we how do we apply it to us so this this idea of from them what 's it mean for everyone what's it mean to us the more the more you grow in that the ability to understand that process, the better you are at reading the Bible devotionally and and the worse you are at this, the worse you will be. Devotionally, and so I, I think it. I think in order to grow in, in in handling this book the way God I think intends it, uh, I think is to grow in understanding this process. Because I can, if I don't know this process and I just sit down to read something, I can make this thing say whatever I want it to say. And so I have to always read Scripture through this lens. I don't ever read. I don't even when I'm reading devotionally. I don't. Which I do on a regular basis. I I don't read it by avoiding thinking about this process. I always think, okay, so so Paul's writing to to the Colossian church, and what's he what's he trying to say to them? And I I, I always run my thoughts through this grid. And so anyway, I wanted to say that because because I, we're gonna we're gonna spend some time reflecting on a, a few key sections um, that, that that jumped out um, for me. And so I, actually sitting there, I realized there's you see this process that Paul's in. So he starts off the first, like you know, three through fourteen, focusing on them. This is what we have heard of you. This is what we're thankful for in you. This is our hope for you. Um, this is our prayer for you. And then he says, now this is who Jesus is. Right? This this eloquent, poetic, um, high view of Jesus. And then he says in verse 22, look at the look at the first the second word. And now you back back to back to them. So he starts with them, more introduction, then he points to Jesus and then he points back to them. And in this way, we could sense we have we have a lot in common with them because we were once alienated and and once host, hostile in mind. But now if you've placed your faith in Jesus, but now we are holy and blameless and above reproach. So we have that. We have a lot in common with them. So in some sense, this is kind of true of us as well. So he, he points to them, and then and then Paul kind of look at verse twenty four, and now I, so now Paul's speaking in first person. He's he's speaking of him of himself. So I want to I want to spend. We're going to spend a few minutes um, uh, reflecting on verses twenty one through twenty three. For us and uh, what this means for us and I'll give you I'll, I'll guide you through that here in a second and then I want to look at paul's example and and just kind of fo- reflect on okay so from Paul's example what what may be God what is God using Paul um, to say to us so verses twenty one through twenty three I like what what drew said that these verses really sum up um, the Christian life in a lot of ways this is Twenty-one is where you were once were, twenty-two is where you now stand in Christ, and and uh, he said, "It's a great line that that we were worse off than we thought, but in Christ we're better off than we could ever imagine." Right. So I wanna I wanna stop and and kind of reflect on that. I want us to spend a few minutes just reflecting on your journey. So some of you've been walking with Christ longer than I've been alive. Which is awesome to say. A few of you, know, I won't even point out who they are. Um, 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 but you should be proud of that. That's awesome. Uh, and and some of you may be shorter, and some of you are maybe just kind of coming back to Christ. And so I want you to reflect on, to spend a few minutes just reflecting on your journey. Where has God brought you? Like how has He changed your the things that you are passionate about and excited about, and all, and, and into um, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, thirty years ago, and then now how has your heart changed? Now what are the things that you're interested in? Now what are the things that, that you find yourself wanting more of in, in, in a sanctified way? What is, how has God um, brought you through this process? Take a few minutes uh, to just reflect on that and, uh, and then I'll come back. Okay, so, you know, early on in my relationship with, with, with Jesus, um, those kind of moments would be difficult for me because all I would do is think about the bad things that I did. And, and, and all I would do is focus on um, how bad I was and maybe even, um, maybe even how, how I'm still not out of some of this stuff. And and I would struggle to, to really dwell in this idea that I am holy and blameless for Christ. And I, I remember God changing my mind about that and, and really calling me to think rightly about myself. And Paul tells us, you know, like when you've placed your trust in Jesus, like this is, this is both instant and continual, this, this transformation, this transformation, your, your eternal zip code is forever different and changed and you know that's that's instant and and you can take joy it should be there should be celebration there should be um, thanksgiving there should be hope as you reflect on what Christ has done in your heart and your life um, but I also like this this verse twenty three obviously it it, it, it twenty one is where you once were twenty two is where you now stand and twenty three is how we move forward from here. Um I, I, this line he says uh, he talks about being faithful, being stable, not shifting and and that shifting can be subtle sometimes, and it can be um, it, it can be subtle, it can begin as subtle but have devastating results if not checked and so I want us to take some time to just check that so i want I want you to reflect on anything that God may be wanting you to turn from or, or shift back to or um, change your mind about um, in order to not shift away from his purposes for you and to remain faithful so spend some time just sh- asking, praying, and write, maybe write something down whatever it is, this is just a time of reflection that you can spend some time with God about later but it, asking God is there anything, like, Paul, like David, is there anything offensive in me you know, search me and know me um, see if there's something that God has for you there spend a couple minutes doing that Okay, the other thing I like to be reminded of whenever God um, convicts me of something, that it is, be- is out of His goodness. Um, I used to th- see conviction as this, oh, oh no, I'm in trouble kind of a thing, I'm c- whatever. And, and I-, I think there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Whereas the enemy will want us to feel condemned and, and, and hold us down and not let us, not want us to run back to God. Whereas conviction is, is, is a hand extended. Conviction is a, hey, I, I love you and I want this for you and I want what's best for you. And so conviction is just evidence of God's grace and mercy and love in our life. And so I, I pray that you embrace, embrace those things, whatever that may be. So now I want us to reflect on Paul's example. Um, verses 24 through 29, he says a couple things. Um, he talks about bringing the gospel to them. You know, as Drew described, um, this process of you know fulfilling what was lacking. You know, as as being Christ's ambassador to to them, bringing the gospel to them, and enduring afflictions to make the word of God fully known. So think about um, the, the passion that Paul is displaying here, uh, the sacrifice that he's displaying. Um, for in his love for Jesus, but also his love for them, and then he talks about agonizing over something so what is it paul that what is Paul agonizing over and it's and it's Jesus to to make him known to 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 preach his gospel to spread his his fame everywhere um, and to present people mature in Christ and so he's agonizing over this and and it's just a good reminder to me of, wow, okay, what is it that I agonize over? What is it I spend my time toiling and struggling for? What is it I spend the, most, the majority of my time thinking about and, and wrestling with and, and seeking after? And I think it would be good for us to, to kind of use Paul as an example to ask this question, you know, what is it that I'm ag- agonizing over? What is it that I'm seeking after? And is, it, is that in line with God's purposes for me? Do the things that I desire and wish do they fit with the way that God's gifted me, the the passions He's given me, the the abilities He's given me, um, for His to use for His purposes, or does it fit in line with that, or or is it is it off, is it um, is it shifted to one way or the other? Have I have I um, have I caught, been caught up into you know, a worldly idea or worldly desires or worldly visions of what my life should be um, that takes me away from where God's God's purpose and, and vision for me. So spend some time just reflecting over Paul's life. Um, you can look back at those verses, use that to, um, to just ask those questions to God. Spend a couple minutes and we'll come back together. Okay. Um, like I said, this isn't something we're going to do every week, but, but I hope this has been a, just an opportunity for you to just kind of sit and process some things, um, especially from Colossians. Uh, you know, our, my hope and prayer would be that not, not only do we grow in this process this summer, um, this process of learning how to ask these questions, what did it mean to them, and how do we... How do we apply this to, what would, how would we apply this to everyone, and what does it mean to, to me specifically, but also that we would grow in discerning um, God's spirit in, in our life and the things that he's calling us to, and, and that we aren't just reading this book to gain information, because information's limited, but that we're, we're growing in a, in a greater knowledge and understanding of a God so we can love him more and live for him more and, and represent him well uh, to this earth, to this world and point people to him uh, for His glory and purposes. To make Christ known, so that's our hope and prayer. Let me pray, and then we'll be done. God, thank you for our time. Thank you for um, your grace in 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 just being able to speak to us personally and individually. I pray, God, that we would grow in our understanding of you, our knowledge of you. Just like Paul says, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, um, and that it would result in a, a life of fruitfulness in this world, um, that, that God, people would be in eternity because of the things that you're doing in and through us. And so we, that is an amazing thing. And so we are humbled to be um, really at your service. So God, thank you for the things that you're doing and saying in us, and we pray that you receive glory in all things, in Jesus' name, amen.